Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Ruchi Gaba. She's an assistant professor, uh, part of uh, endocrinology at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And we're going to talk about uh, her clinical work. So, Ruchi, thanks for coming. Thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Yeah. So tell me what you do in the clinic. What kind of patients do you see? Yeah, so I'm clinical faculty here at Baylor College of Medicine. Um, I'm, in fact, the medical director for a thyroid parathyroid center. It's a multidisciplinary center, you know, where we sort of collaborate very closely with world-renowned experts, uh, be it surgery, radiology, pathology, and we come up with uh, very personalized, individualized plans for our patients who have, you know, uh, thyroid or parathyroid disease and sort of endocrine neoplasia as well. So we dwell into that too, uh, but mostly focusing on thyroid. When you say, so neoplasia is like a new tissue growth. Is that what neoplasia means? Right. So neoplasia basically means cancer or tumor. And uh, endocrine neoplasia is basically cancer that arises in sort of the endocrine tissues in the body, uh, which is the hormone producing glands, which include uh, the pituitary or the adrenal, the thyroid, the parathyroid, and the pancreas. And uh, the tumors could be benign, they could be malignant, and we take care of all, all those sorts of tumors. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I know I've had uh, papillary thyroid cancer myself, so I know about neoplasias a little bit. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Did, did you just need the surgery or you had to get the radioactive iodine as well? Yeah, I did both. It was a few years ago now, but, uh, you know, so I have some experience with that. All right. Um, That's very interesting because I am a thyroid cancer survivor myself and I had papillary thyroid cancer too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell me like, so the average person, from what I understand, it's more women than men that get thyroid cancer. So I guess I was unusual in that regard. Um, yes. yes. Like how many, I don't know, like, like is this a, a disease that affects a lot of people or just a few? Like, is it growing? Is it expanding? What's, what's yeah, your so, so endocrine cancer, especially thyroid, you know, you're right. It's more in women around three to one ratio. And in women, it usually will present in 40s and 50s age group, whereas in men, it's more older men, 60s to 70s. Um, Thyroid cancer, in fact, it's very interesting that you ask that because thyroid cancer has been increasing. The annual incidence of thyroid cancer has increased over the last couple of years. And it's it's more in young people. And, uh, you know, some experts said, okay, we are just diagnosing more because we're doing more imaging for anything, for everything. But uh, the overall incidence rate has also gone up. And, uh, and, and even more interesting is the fact that that does not mean that the mortality has gone up. So the incidence of thyroid cancer is going up, but the mortality st- seems to be pretty stable. Hmm. Well, I, know, I guess I know there's uh, papillary, there's medullary, and then there's anaphylastic thyroid cancer. So what's, uh, are they all going up? And then can you yeah. give just like a brief primer on the three kinds, if there are only three kinds? Right. So differentiated thyroid cancer, which means differentiated means that it's arising from, you know, the follicular cell, the epithelium in there. And there are four four types. You know, the papillary is the most common, uh, followed by the follicular. And then there's medullary thyroid cancer. And the last one is anaplastic. Anaplastic is really rare, very, very aggressive. 
The medullary is a little different. It arises not from the follicular thyroid cell, but it actually arises from the parafollicular cell. So it's a calcitonin producing tumor, but you know, it comes under the differentiated thyroid cancer subgroup. And those are the four uh, sort of common thyroid cancers that we see, but papillary so far is the bulk of what we see here in clinic. And what are the, uh, like the five-year survivability rates, if you express it that way, or the mortality rates for the different types? Yeah. So if, if it's papillary, you know, depending on, we, we sort of classify them into low, uh, intermediate, and high risk. With low risk, usually the mortality is pretty low. There's a 90, 90% and above survival rate in those patients. And the follicular follows through. Most of them do well too. But medullary is a little more serious, a little more higher mortality, around 20 to 30%. And anaplastic is the most sort of deadly of all these thyroid cancers. Like I said, very aggressive, grows very rapidly, and, and they're rare. And, you know, there are not much um, sort of treatments that we have for that kind of cancer. You have to get enrolled into clinical trials in a big academic center where they cater to such kind of cancers. What are the common treatments that you've, uh, that you know, that you'll apply for people that have the different types? Yeah. So for any thyroid cancer, you know, the surgery is the main modality. So we go with surgery. And then following that is something called radioactive iodine, which you have experience with. Uh, but for the audience to understand better, it's basically uh, radioactive iodine. And it's given in the form of a pill. Uh, what it's going to do is whatever microscopic uh, cancer cells are left behind after surgery, it's always usually given after surgery. So it's trying to kill whatever microscopic cells that are left behind um, and the thyroid cells, they're hungry for that radioactive iodine. So we, so we prep them up that they're hungry for the iodine because iodine is one of the main substrates uh, for thyroid hormone production. So we're making them ready to absorb all that radioactive iodine. We give it to them and then basically hoping that because it's radioactive, it's going to destroy those cells. And uh, usually uh, patients will do really well with just surgery and the radioactive iodine. But in very rare cases, you know, with advanced cancers uh, or with metastases, we might have to use uh, chemotherapy. And tyrosine kinase inhibitors are the agents that we use. And, and now, you know, in this world of expanding science, you know, we have this targeted gene therapy that we've been using based on whatever gene alteration or mutation that we find. Uh, we just target their therapy according to that gene alteration. So drugs that sort of uh, basically are going to inhibit the prime driver of the tumor growth in, in these advanced cancers. So that's that's in the loop. Uh, so basically, chemotherapy is our last resort, but we do sometimes have to go 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 to that end. Yes. Sequencing of tumors. I mean, again, this happened to me recently, but it's now like three years ago. Is it advancing quickly? Uh, what are they finding are some of the subtypes of papillary thyroid cancer and the other kinds? Right. So it's, it's a very rapidly growing science and immuno, just immunotherapy, targeted immunotherapy is the sort of the, um, it's, it's the latest thing that's, that's happening in the world of oncology. And, you know, gene mutations are being discovered literally each day. And then we're targeting therapies towards those. In fact, for anaplastic, which is such a rare cancer, we had a couple of drugs approved for that recently to FDA approved. Um, so it's a, it's definitely something that's on um, not just on the horizon; it's rising and it's 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 gaining importance. Yes. Why do you think that um, thyroid cancer is on the rise? So a, a lot of different theories. Like I said, you know, people are getting imaging for for different sorts of things and very specialized imaging in the neck area and uh, especially cardiac imaging. You know, that'll capture a little bit of the thyroid there too. So uh, a lot of incidental finding of these thyroid nodules. Uh, which we then, when we biopsy them, they come back as cancer. 
So truly, we don't know if uh, what what the implication of that would we have ever discovered. Say they had not had that incidental imaging. So a lot of experts are thinking, okay, maybe it's just that extra imaging that we're doing now. But they have done some analysis, you know, very detailed analysis, which which remove this confounding factor. And, and still, we feel like the incidence is on the rise, especially in, in young people and in young women. And uh, there's no way explaining what's going on. Some gene alterations there, something going on. So it's not just the imaging. We feel like there's more to it, for sure. So you said it's three to one women to men. So the, the female incidence is growing or the male as well? So for everybody, for everybody, for all, for all ages, for all gender, uh, there's an increase in the annual incidence, uh, but it's it's noted more in the in the younger in the younger uh, people. Mm, okay. In fact, mm. uh, circling back to a question that you'd asked about cancer treatment, something that's very new on the horizon is something called RFA or radiofrequency ablation, which is a, a pretty cool treatment modality that is gaining sort of importance lately. Um, it's basically, you know, a percutaneous treatment, which means through the skin, you know, we insert an electrode into the particular nodule that we, we think can be cancerous. And then what we use is we use the radio frequency waves, basically thermal energy to destroy those cancer cells. And uh, it's been around from 2006, really. And other countries are, in fact, done much better than us. Italy and Korea and a couple of the Asian countries have been ahead of us in this work. But it's starting to come to United States and um, a lot of different centers are starting to adapt this new technique. Most are doing it for benign tumors or nodules, uh, but there's definitely data about use in uh, cancer that will be coming up soon from United States. So that that that's a that's a very cool uh, treatment modality, which is you know something that is can can be offered to the patients, which is better than surgery. I don't know better, but but it's an alternative to surgery, which is non-interventional. You know. So instead of taking out the thyroid, you use RF to uh, ablate the nodules themselves or the whole thyroid, or what? That's right. That's right. If it's a benign benign uh, nodule that's just very big, you know, there's almost an 80 to 90 percent reduction in the size that can occur. We're basically just burning it away, and uh, and we just reduce the size. There's improvement in symptoms. There's cosmetic improvement, but those are for benign tumors, or in fact, tumors that oversecrete thyroid hormones. Sometimes we call them the toxic nodules. We can kill those nodules as well. And then um, not in United States yet, but I think there's some data from Korea and Italy where cancer uh, has been treated with the RFA as well. Oh, so this is not for cancerous nodules. It's just for benign or ones that are overproducing the hormone. Yeah, it can be used for both. But like in United States, we're we're still sort of gathering data about the use. People are still learning. There are workshops being held and, you know, we're learning this new technique. So it's an emerging, emerging treatment option. Okay. Interesting. In terms of immunotherapy, you re- you said that that's uh, that's being used a lot more. What is that targeting for the different types of thyroid cancer? Like, how does it work? So, for example, you know the red the uh, there's a red gene that can be fused to alterations that can occur in papillary thyroid cancer or follicular thyroid cancer, and uh, it just sort of drives that the cancer is going to be aggressive or it's going to have metastases. So we sort of target those with certain tyrosine kinase inhibitors or certain red gene inhibitors. We're sort of just targeting those particular genes and giving them medications that that will just focus on whatever cells have that particular mutation, they would get killed with that immunotherapy. So that's sort of the basis of, of using this therapy. That doesn't only target those types of cells. It tells the immune system to, you know, if they exist to go after them. Right, that, that's that they've been developed to just target that particular cell that has that particular gene alteration. 
And, and that's exactly why we're calling it immunotherapy. So it's pretty cool. In that pool of cells, you know, they have different genes and different mutations, but we've designed that that particular drug will go after that one particular mutation. And that's why, you know, when, when we have cancer patients, we run a gene pattern on them and we find out, okay, predominantly it is the say X gene. And then we, we look up a drug that specifically will kill those, gene, those cells which have X gene, X gene mutations in it. So uh, that's why we call it sort of precision medicine or very individualized medicine uh, for these patients. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Oh, so is that in clinical use yet? And is it, uh, what's the advocacy of it? Yes, absolutely. It's in clinical use. And FDA has approved a couple of drugs. Uh, some are part of clinical trials. They're very expensive. So, you know, getting them through a clinical trial is the easiest way or easiest access to them. But absolutely, absolutely. They've been used pretty judiciously and pretty commonly now. Oh, okay. I mean, how much has this improved the uh, survivability for the different types of thyroid cancer than, you know, some of these immunotherapy drugs? Is there is there enough data on them yet? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So tremendously. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, so it's called sort of disease-free survival, which is improved uh, with these drugs and the different trials that were run. So basically people get extra months of life, which is sort of uh, disease-free. So it's it's sort of not, we're not looking at the tumor just disappearing completely, but trying to give them some extra months of lives. It's literally measured in terms of months. Uh, it could offer like a 12 to 18 month extra lifespan to some patients. So there's not a number that I could quote to you, but it is definitely a game changer in how thyroid cancer is managed because in the past, you know, you only had surgery or you had that radioactive iodine. Those were our tools. But now we've been equipped with so much more ammunition against um, against these cancer cells. And it's a game changer for thyroid cancer. Yes. Have there been uh, innovations in like the radioactive iodine part? And not, not so much in the radioactive iodine part as such, but some of these immune therapies, you know, they what you know what happens is in advanced cancers, these cells are sort of getting de-differentiated. So initially, a cancer that would react to the radioactive iodine, that would take the iodine up and uh, would sort of get, you know, we were able to destroy those cancer cells with radioactive iodine. We're not able to do that anymore. And then once they get treated with these agents, the new agents that we have, those cells can then pick up that iodine. Does that make sense? You know, the patients who were basically, we call them iodine evid uh, or non-evid in the sense they don't pick up the iodine. Now, suddenly you're treating them with a medicine for a couple months and now they're lighting up on scan and are able to pick up all that iodine and we're able to improve their uh, survival with that. Yeah, that's that's very cool to me. So <laughs> that's very interesting. Oh, so you're, you're causing a, uh, are you holding back the de-differentiation or are you encouraging right. differentiation to go forward? Exactly. We're making those de-differentiated cells differentiated again so they can take up the radioactive iodine and we can use that again as a treatment modality. Yes, yes, exactly. In advanced cancers. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. I mean, cancer itself seems to be a, uh, a few steps back in terms of differentiation and then, you know, steps forward. Do you think that this would, uh, well, it makes it more susceptible to iodine, but I mean, what else could it do? Do you think it could actually, uh, I don't know, halt the growth of tumors or shrink them? Yes, yes. Because, you know, the iodine, it, it works nicely, but the cells have to be capable of picking up that iodine. So it's radioactive, it'll kill them. But if those cells are de-differentiated and they don't pick it up, then we're at loss and, you know. And sure, we have these newer chemotherapy agents, the tyrosine kinase inhibitors and all those fancy drugs out there, but they're not free of side effects. They have some horrendous side effects. So not, not every patient can tolerate that. 
So imagine if we give them a drug that that'll make those cells um, sort of be able to be treated with radioactive iodine again, then then that's very useful in in their treatment plan, you know. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Huh. Very interesting. It is. I don't know, like how, how long have you been doing this clinical work and like what do you see that's changed over the time that you've been doing it? So I trained here as a fellow. So I've been faculty here since 2015. So I've been doing this as faculty for five years and then two years of training. So definitely five to seven years of clinical experience in this. But over over the years that have passed, you know, a lot of drugs have gotten FDA approval. So we had a lot of clinical trials as fellows where, you know, we would recruit patients and study them. But now we, over the years, what I've seen is that I've seen those drugs actually get approved and uh, there's better access because they were very expensive. Like I said, only parts of clinical trials, but now they're FDA approved insurance sometimes will cover it too. So there's a change in that regards that that is more accessibility to these drugs. So that's what's different, I think. Okay. Again, are you seeing lots more patients than you used to see as well? That is true. That is true. I'm seeing a lot more cancer patients than I, than I used to before. Some might be biased in that way. Yes. Oh, but again, you know, when they say numbers are increasing, are you like, okay, yeah, definitely. Or is it, uh, you know, they may or may not be. That, no, no, no. That's, that's a little tricky. See, we've always, we always only see thyroid cancer in our, we have like a thyroid cancer clinic. So that's still full and it was full seven years ago. So that's hard to say just out of my clinical uh, patient base or no, no, no. I am not sure. I wouldn't be able to tell you like that. But it's just data from uh, the source database or whatever. Our literature is telling us that it's going up. But I, I wouldn't notice a difference like that because, you know, we are subspecialized. So we see only that particular thing. So there's um, no way for us to say if it's going up or not. The way that you mentioned that it can be picked up on a, you know, if someone has a heart scan, it can be picked up that way. I mean, the way I found out is I got into a, a car accident and I had a head injury and then they found the nodules by doing a CT scan of my head and neck. But how much of um, thyroid cancer is accidental discovery versus symptomatic uh, discovery? Yeah, so a lot, a lot. So the incidental is a big chunk, I feel, because thyroid cancer otherwise too, if it's a small tumor, you're not going to have any symptoms. It's just going to sit there. So the only way to find out that there's something going on in the neck is that somebody notices a lump. And to notice a lump, it should have reached that size where it's notable when you're looking, you know, in the mirror and you find, oh, there's a lump in the neck or for a friend, say, or, or a relative to notice that in your neck. So at that point, you know, it's at least a centimeter or above uh, when you're feeling it. And sometimes people don't notice it for, for up to even two centimeters, you know. So, yeah. so thyroid cancer like that is, doesn't, it will not cause any pain. Uh, it will usually not secrete any excessive thyroid hormone or anything. It'll just sit there and grow. So the lump in the neck is how most cancers will present. So imagine that, you know, for it, like I said, I, I think the, the, the bigger chunk is like the incidental findings. Uh, we were discovering like micro, they're called micro cancers or micro uh, papillary cancers where they're less than a centimeter in size. So we, we even like biopsy a six millimeter nodule now. Oh, and there's cancer sitting there. So I don't know how much clinical significance that has. Because what if it would just sit there for many years and not do anything? Right. Um, and, and what if the next time we see them, it has metastasized to a lymph node? So that could happen too. And, and for that reason, you know, we have to pursue every all sorts of cancer. It causes anxiety in, in human beings and patients. So uh, they go after it, even though, you know, it's small in size. 
Can you estimate how long a given nodule has been growing by its size or by its morphology? So thyroid cancer, if, if that nodule is a cancer indeed, it's very slow growing. So there's no telling. It could be sitting there for 10 years, for 12 years. And really? uh, yeah, it's extremely slow growing. And uh, nobody could tell you that. Nobody could predict that for you. <laughs> really? Oh, really? There's no no prediction at all? No, 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 no. But yeah, it could be sitting there for many, many years and we'd not know about it. That can definitely happen. For thyroid cancer, then a recurrence of it, is the recurrence slower? You know, like certain cancers, if you have it and you have, let's say, chemo, surgery, et cetera, they may typically recur six months later. But because thyroid is initially at least slow growing, does that mean it could recur years later, more likely than a few months later? Or, you know, how does that, how does that shake out? Yeah, it, it could. We have had some cases where people have come back after 10 years with the recurrence. So that could absolutely happen. But I think um, what you're trying to say is how soon it, it, so it spread out. I think I understand your question, but I, I'm not sure how to answer that accurately is because initially, you know, depending on if it's a low risk or an intermediate or a high risk, we say you get, you're high risk for recurrence and that recurrence could happen in the next uh, couple of years. But that's not always true. Like I said, I had a case where a person came back 10 years and they had a lymph node in the neck. And when we biopsied it, it was papillary thyroid cancer. So um, never say never in medicine. And it's, it keeps surprising you. It's, it's capable of surprising you. And uh, that can happen too. But mostly if there's a recurrence that going, that's going to happen, it'll happen in the next few years. Yeah, that's what I was told. If it comes back, it's going to be in the next two or three years. Exactly, exactly. But I figured, again, if it's slow growing, it's, is it more likely that the recurrence will be, again, four years, five years? Like, you know, have... Yeah, that's have not the norm. Of, of recurrences been looked at for papillary thyroid cancer, and maybe the hump of the distribution of reoccurrence happens later than with other cancers, you know? Right, right, right. Th that's not the norm, you know, recurring after eight years, after six years. That's not the norm. Those patients are more of like exceptions. You're absolutely right. If, if the recurrence has to happen, it'll happen quickly within the next two to three years. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought it would be different. I mean, that's good. It's better, <laughs> you know, that it's not a longer fuse because that would, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess there's trade-offs either way. You know, the longer it takes to come back, if it's going to come back, the longer you'll live, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, hmm. Yes, <laughs> I didn't think of it like that, but that, that makes sense. Can you share any of your personal story? It's up to you, but like, how did you discover that you had papillary thyroid cancer? What, what happened to you? Yeah, my story is very interesting. I was in training and, you know, we were trying to learn how to do thyroid ultrasounds uh, on each other, my, my co-fellows. And uh, while practicing, you know, somebody tells me, oh, there's something in the nodule. Oh, I see something in your neck in the thyroid. And I'm like, okay, okay. You know, very busy trying to learn, trying to be budding endocrinologist. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll take care of this later. And then I forget about it. And then in six months when I graduate, you know, I had some time off. And I was like, oh, let me think about this in more detail. Somebody told me something in my, my thyroid gland. Let me go get a formal ultrasound. So that's how I go get a formal ultrasound. And uh, and there's this nodule. A very, it's, it was literally like a picture from the book, how classically like a cancer will look like, the appearance that we teach our fellows now or teach our students now. Uh, it yeah. looked beautiful like that with the microcalcifications and just the appearance of it. And and that's how I, and then I got the call that, well, oh no, it's, I got it biopsied. And then the horrendous call which said, oh my God, it's papillary thyroid cancer. So I don't think that's so beautiful, you know, once, but yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when you hear that, it kind of like melts your face off when you hear that, uh, that you have cancer, but 
I guess I've come to look at it as like, you know, I feel lucky if you're going to get cancer as if you could wish for such a thing. This is probably one of the best ones to get is my guess is papillary thyroid cancer. Right. And and that, that we hear a lot, which is sort of a myth. And we don't actually advocate people saying that. I used to say that too. And one of my mentors was, uh, was you know, he, he said, do not use that again, because he had seen some very horrific advanced thyroid cancers. And he had once told the patient the same thing, that, you know, it's one of the best cancers to have. And that patient ultimately developed metastases and uh, and had a very, yeah. So he was the one I, I used that jokingly, that that exact statement, you know, it's, it's, and we sort of now do sessions where we call it a myth. And uh, we advocate against that. So it's funny that you <laughs> that you say that statement. I was thinking of like the Dos Equis commercial where the guy goes, I don't drink often, but when I do, it's Dos Equis, you know? So <laughs> I guess it was a, you know, but. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've used that too. And I've well, gone my fingers with that. So yes. <laughs> hopefully this statement is kind of true and, and rare when there's complications and stuff. But I mean, it still does seem to have an extremely high survivability rate, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, let's, you know. I understand why you wouldn't want to say that, like jinxing someone, but yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no comments. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, what else about, you know, thyroid cancer? I mean, what, like, why does it interest you in the first place? Why is this important to you? And, you know, now that you've had it, I understand it makes even more sense why it would be important to you, but before you had it, why did you pick this area? So actually I picked this area after I had the cancer. And in fact, my personal story I shared because that was my driving force. Uh, it's a very cliched story, but it but it did sort of um, motivate me to sort of work on in this in this uh, aspect of thyroidology. And, uh, you know, with the dream of making like a I'm, I'm trying to build like a thyroid center where these cancer patients are catered to. So when I had when my cancer was discovered, you know, I had a lymph node. I had a metastasis to a lymph node, which was missed, uh, missed by, you know, uh, the first doctor that I had met. And because I was trained in endocrinology, I knew better. And then I had to order another ultrasound to look for it. So I sort uh-huh. of caught my own lymph node and uh, it had metastasized. And, you know, it changed my treatment plan, which was the original treatment plan from uh, from my first doctor. So that that sort of opened my eyes there saying, you know, we we need experts in this field, you know, who are specifically specialized in thyroid cancers to treat these patients. Because, you know, yeah. the patient is sort of trusting all their, putting all their trust in the doctor and they need to have that extra knowledge or the expertise, you know, I think that needs to be built. And that's what, that's what I'm trying to do here with the thyroid and the thyroid center here at Baylor. I'm trying to build this, um, you know, this institute where I offer that world-class treatment or that world-class approach to treatment so that nothing of something like this that happened to me doesn't happen to another patient. You know, we don't miss important things which change life plans. Well, that's good. That's excellent, you know? Well, yeah. very good. Well, Ruchi, um, you know, we're just about out of time. What's the best way for people to find out more about your work and, you know, God forbid, if they have a problem to, uh, you know, to get in touch or to find help, where should yes. they go? Yeah, so it's uh, I'm on the Baylor website. They just type in my name, Ruchi Gaba, and it'll pull up like the appointment number and everything. I can also share my email if that works. It's ruchi.gaba at the rate pcm.edu. And uh, yeah, please, please feel free to get in touch with me or get an appointment with me and uh, I'll help you to the maximum that I could. That's great. Ruchi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. 
You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.